0: In May of 2008 in Colorado, a teenage boy left for a walk on a brisk evening. When he never returned, everyone was left worried and wondering. No sign of the teen ever showed up despite police and family efforts. His family was hopeful he had gone on to pursue a creative life, producing work under a fake name, and that one day he would show up happy and healthy. It would take seven years before the family found out what really happened. Instead of their questions being answered, this news just raised more questions. What happened in the cabin? Come hang out with me while I talk true crime. welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. I hope everyone had an amazing Halloween filled with, I don't know, corn mazes, hot apple cider, candied apples, the Simpsons Halloween special. I just love that. Never miss it. Uh, I hope your costumes were amazing. I hope you saw amazing costumes. I hope you ate lots of chocolate. And I just hope that you experienced everything good about this season. I did want to do a TikTok live where I would dress up in my Halloween costume, go live on TikTok and carve my pumpkin in spooky lighting in a spooky atmosphere and then also tell ghost stories or like scary stories as I carved my pumpkin on my TikTok live. But when I looked into doing a TikTok live, I was so excited. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a TikTok live. I couldn't. Because I didn't have a thousand followers. You need to have a thousand followers in order to unlock the feature to go live on TikTok. So please, please, please go and follow Hell No True Crime Podcast on TikTok. It would really mean a lot to me if I could bring my followers up to a thousand so I can do fun lives like that. Um, but, anyways, Halloween, unfortunately, it is over this year. Couldn't do a TikTok live. Really wanted to, to bring you live spooky stories and carve my pumpkin. And I was going to ask people for recommendations, what I, where, which direction I should go in with my pumpkin. Should I do a face? Whatever. And then I was going to use your comments and then carve my pumpkin as well as telling scary stories. It was going to be really fun, but couldn't do it. Maybe next year. Okay, let's talk about this week's sobering case. As I was researching this case, I kept changing my mind about what I thought truly happened. And I will tell you right now, although this case is closed, I and many others think there might be more to it. 18-year-old Joshua Maddox, he enjoyed hiking and being out in the wilderness. So on the evening of May 8th in 2008, when he told his sister he was going for a walk, it 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 wasn't anything to be alarmed about. Joshua and his family lived in Woodland Park, Colorado, so I could only imagine there was amazing hiking and gorgeous forest nearby, probably really great trails just outside of his door. That night, Joshua, he never came home, though. And the next night, the same thing. No Josh. By the second night, his dad started calling around, asking Josh's friends if they had seen him or if they know where he might be. Nobody had seen Josh. Nobody knew anything. Nobody heard anything about where he might be. He was just gone. Maybe it was because Josh was 18. Maybe his dad thought perhaps Josh had gone away on a a spur-of-the-moment adventure. Whatever the reason, uh, five days later, Josh was reported missing. So there was five days uh, between when Josh didn't come home to when he was reported. But again, he's an 18-year-old. It didn't seem like he would have been in any danger. A search of the area was conducted and nothing turned up. Police, friends, family, search parties, all looked for Josh. They went to the local uh, hiking areas. They went all around the area, but there was no sign of him. Not a shoe, not a bag, nothing belonging to Josh was found. His family looked for months and they still had no answers as to where Josh had gone. His sister was remaining positive and she wanted to believe that Josh ran away to start his life. Josh being creative could very well be living amongst other creatives, writing music, novels, playing guitar, just being free to create. Maybe a commune situation, I don't know, a lot of just living with other creatives and just creating and being free. She hoped that one day he would turn up in front of her with his family, maybe he'd have a couple kids, maybe he'd get married and he'd come back and be like, hey everyone, here's my family, I want to introduce you to them and hello, I'm back. So this is what she was thinking and I just love that she was staying optimistic and she thought that perhaps he was maybe even writing amazing novels and publishing them under a fake name because he valued his secluded existence so she's thinking maybe he disappeared on purpose and again i just absolutely love her optimism and i love that this is the story she created for him it just it just shows you how amazing josh was so this is what his sister is thinking oh he's gone away he's writing amazing novels he's being creative and playing music and living with amazing people and he's going to meet the love of his life it's just so nice that that's what his sister was thinking unfortunately this dream this optimistic dream that his sister had it would it would never come true this wasn't what was happening for the next seven years, Josh was considered a missing persons until 2015. Less than a mile away from where Josh was last seen leaving his home for that walk, there was a cabin in the woods. This cabin itself has a rich backstory. It was built around the 1930s. It's a classic small homestead-style cabin. Would have been good. Gorgeous in its day, for sure. This cabin was absolutely beautiful. Beautiful cabin before it fell apart. It was part of a ranch, but this was no ordinary ranch, just to put it that way. Between 1930 and 1950, it was said that illegal drinking, gambling, and prostitution was happening here. Uh, Then the guy who was running it, he was arrested by the FBI, because of these illegal activities. But eventually that guy, he got off on those charges. And then the cabin in the land was sold to a man named Chuck Murphy in the 1950s. Chuck had his brother living in this cabin for a while. But once his brother moved out um, in 2005, it was essentially abandoned and fell into disrepair. Absolutely breaks my heart to see a solid wood cabin in a stunning location just be abandoned like that. It was... Oof, so sad. I, All my life I've wanted to live in a beautiful cabin in a slightly remote area. It's just always been a dream of mine. So to see one fall apart and not be cherished and loved, it was, uh, yeah, really, really hurt, really hurt me. So this once iconic cabin, it's now abandoned. It's 2005 and Chuck starts using it for storage, but he hardly ever goes there. And when he does, he's not really inspecting everything. The inside had been invaded by forest creatures. You know, raccoons, squirrels, rats. It smelled like dead raccoons, smelled like animal waste. Um, rats were most likely nesting in boxes or in piles of debris in there. There's probably baby rats everywhere. Animal urine, animal feces. It, was just, it wasn't just—it was being taken care of. It was sounded like it was just ripped apart by animals. Nature was taking it back. This cabin had also become popular amongst local teens because, of course, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's just gonna. I could, when I was a teenager, I could not stay away from abandoned places. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I thought they were so. In, I still do, but as a teenager, maybe I had more time on my hands. Maybe I was around more abandoned places, but I couldn't stay away. I absolutely loved them. They're so interesting. Nobody's there. You can do whatever you want. It's creepy and it's something to do. If you're a teen growing up in a remote area or a rural area or a farming area like I did, there's not a lot to do. So you kind of make your own fun. Um, I do not advise anyone to go into anything abandoned though. I just want to say that it is very dangerous for multiple reasons. The floor could give out from underneath you. The Roof could collapse, and you just never know what what can happen in there. So I don't advise people going into abandoned places. Um, it is dangerous, and it was dangerous in this situation as well, which we will find out. Teenagers would go to this cabin. They would break in, or maybe they would even just go in. I'm not even really sure if the house was sealed up or even locked. Uh, they would. I don't know. I'm just guessing. They were smoking some weed, maybe drinking booze, whatever kids do. They were probably doing it there. You know, there was no watchful eye. It was... They could do whatever they wanted. August 2015, Chuck, the owner of this cabin, he's now 80 years old, he decides to sell this land to a development company. I'm sure he was going to get a lot of money. I, I'm sure he did. Not going. I'm sure he did get a lot of money for this land. Because he had bought this in 19, in the 1950s for, I'm going to guess, next to nothing. And... Now it's 2015, it's Colorado, uh, really nice land, and he wanted to sell it to a development company, so he was going to make a lot of money. With this underway, Chuck had to demolish the old cabin on it. I think he was clearing the land for them of, of this structure of this old, decrepit, derelict, run-down, abandoned cabin. The crew went around and they picked up all the scrap metal and iron and they got rid of that first. That was the first thing to do on this job site was get all the scrap metal, all the iron, whatever, get rid of it. Then it was time to tear down the brick chimney. As they started to remove it, they noticed something lodged inside of it. Upon closer inspection, it was a decomposed human body, basically skeletal remains by this time. The body appeared to be of someone who tried to enter the cabin from the top of the chimney, head first, as this is how the skeleton was positioned when they discovered it. Feet above the head, in the fetal position, legs disjointed from torso. I kept reading that that detail over and over again. Legs disjointed from torso. I'm not sure how far up the chimney or how close to the bottom of the chimney the body was discovered. So it's hard to say how far whoever was in there made it to the opening below or where they got stuck. So police get called. Police get called ASAP. These people are tearing down this chimney. They're like, oh, what the fuck? There's a body in here. They call police. They stop the demolition. Through dental records, it is discovered that this is the missing Joshua Maddox. Seven years he had been missing and the entire time he was two blocks away from his home. So close to home. During the search, the cabin was never looked at or if it was then not extensively I don't know if somebody poked their head in I don't know if someone circled the property circled the cabin whatever Um, but clearly it was not searched very well so this raised the question to people why and how did Josh find himself in this chimney was Joshua trying to break into this cabin by way of the chimney that's certainly what this looks like, right? No, because there is evidence he was already inside before he got into the chimney. Yeah. yeah, so this can't be this can't be why he went in went in there. He couldn't have been trying to break into the cabin because he had already been in the cabin. and people used to go into this cabin all the time. I'm sure this wasn't the only point of entry, the doors, the windows, there definitely would have been some other way in. When Joshua was found seven years later in that chimney, he had only been wearing a long sleeved shirt. So this means when he went down that chimney head first from the roof, he was nude from the waist down. His socks, his shoes, pants, other clothing of his was found folded up neatly by the way and placed by a wood box inside the cabin and when I first heard that I'm like seven years seven years his clothes were folded up neatly and and had sat in that abandoned cabin where teens go to party I don't know this detail was just really odd to me um no raccoons no rats nothing had had chewed up that clothing I don't know this just I had a lot of questions about this. But my main question is why would Joshua attempt to wiggle down a chimney head first and naked from the waist down? That's my first question because it obviously wasn't to break in. He had already been in there. Also, going back to the clothing, I just find it really odd. Something else that I found odd about it is that. 18-year-olds don't really fold their clothes. I just couldn't imagine a 18-year-old male folding his clothes at home, let alone in an abandoned cabin. It just doesn't make any sense to me that Joshua would fold up his clothes neatly. It just doesn't seem like he did that. Or my other thought on that was if he did fold his clothes, it almost looks like that is an attempt to buy more time. So say somebody was, I don't know, forcing him to take those clothes off, and as he was doing so, he was then folding them to delay whatever was going to happen next. And the other thing that I felt really, really weird about was the fact that Joshua had entered the chimney headfirst. That just seems terrifying to me, and probably anyone looking to go down the dark shaft of a chimney isn't going to go face first. This led me to believe that it wasn't his idea or he didn't act on his own free will to do this. This next bit I have questions about uh, that I couldn't find any answers to. And I think it could be something or it could be nothing. It depends on when it happened when it was placed where it was and this I'm talking about inside the cabin there was a heavy wooden breakfast bar I imagine this is like a big bench top this breakfast bar had been torn out of its original spot and relocated into the opening of the chimney inside of the cabin so the fireplace I guess this would mean nothing could get into the cabin that came down that chimney and my question is when did that breakfast bar get placed there was it after Joshua went into the chimney or was it before if it was before then Joshua would have known it was there and he would have known his attempt to go down the chimney would fail because he wouldn't be able to get out he would have known oh it's blocked off from the inside I've been inside clearly I've been inside my clothes are in there folded up even if he did make it to the bottom He would just be stuck. So why would he even attempt it? I I don't think he would. I don't think he would. Unless he didn't enter that chimney on his own free will. If that piece of furniture wasn't there when Joshua entered the chimney, is it then possible squatters or teens put it there? Days, weeks, months later. I don't know, because of the smell that would have been coming from the chimney. Maybe illegal occupants Maybe they did it to stop that cold draft, uh, which was carrying that smell of, of decomposition, of, of death into the cabin. Maybe they thought an animal had died in the chimney and they didn't investigate it, so they didn't see that it was a human being. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe some teens put it there after Joshua had went into the chimney and died um, because it, there was... A smell coming out of it when they were partying in there or something. They just assumed, oh, there's a dead raccoon in the chimney. Let's block this up so the smell doesn't come in the cabin. Or was that breakfast bar put there after Joshua was in the chimney for sinister reasons? An autopsy was conducted and there was nothing alarming discovered uh, with Joshua's toxicology reports. Nothing said that he had drugs in his system or or that there was um, any harm being done to Josh prior to the chimney incident. They said there was no knife wounds, no bullet holes, no evidence of violence, or anything to suggest he was dead before entering the chimney. What I found to be most haunting was how secluded this cabin was. Uh, if it Was a terrible accident and Joshua for some reason was goofing around and got stuck. There was nobody to hear him cry for help. And just imagining that situation is so scary. I can just almost feel the anxiety and panic he would have felt in that moment when he realized he was stuck. And he couldn't get out and there was nobody around. It's just probably one of the worst situations you could find yourself, like the most horrifying situation you could find yourself in. The coroner, he did rule it an accidental death. He said that either dehydration or hypothermia would have killed Joshua within a couple of days, and it wasn't possible to know which one. Another possibility, which I'm not sure was in the coroner report or not, is positional asphyxiation. I kept reading this in a lot of other articles, but whether or not it was in the coroner's report, I cannot say 100%. The positional asphyxiation, that is if um, a person gets stuck in a tight spot and their bodies constricted uh, to the point where you suffocate because your chest can't expand. Something stated in the report which made me pause was that Joshua crawled down the chimney himself to gain entry into the cabin like I was talking about earlier. This was in the, the report and when I read that I was like, um, what? We already know he was in there before he went in the chimney though. We already know that he had already gained entry into the cabin. So why is this in the coroner report when his clothing was found in the cabin? Shouldn't the coroner know that? I also think it would be impossible to tell for sure what injuries Joshua had sustained before going into the chimney. How could they rule out things like being beat up, black eyes, that kind of thing? After seven years, wouldn't all the flesh and muscle be gone? Like if he was punched in in the face uh, and he had a black eye it didn't break any bones or anything but that black eye would be long gone or if his knuckles had been scratched up if he had been in a fight um, the flesh would be gone so they couldn't tell that I think there's just a lot of things that would have been impossible to say because of how long Joshua's body had been in that chimney It's not just me or Joshua's family who didn't like the coroner's ruling of accidental death. Chuck didn't either. I have heard speculation where perhaps he was just trying not to get sued because it was his cabin, Um, but he makes some good points. Chuck said it doesn't make sense that Joshua would basically get undressed inside the cabin, go outside, climb on the roof and then jump headfirst into the chimney where he knew he would then be trapped given that that breakfast bar, that piece of furniture, was already pressed up against the the inside of the chimney in the cabin. But we don't know when that breakfast bar got pushed up there, okay? Like, I, I really wish we knew that. Chuck also says he had a metal grate installed inside of the chimney to stop animals from gaining entry into the cabin through the top of the chimney. Like if animals were crawling on the roof, they jump in the chimney, they just fall through the chimney or crawl their way down and then all of a sudden they're, they're in the cabin. He had installed this mesh metal grate and it was installed at the top of the chimney, just one brick row down from the very top. The coroner, however, reports no such mesh grate being seen. However, it is possible it rusted away or, uh, had or it was removed, collected. Uh, before demolition. Because remember, they were going around and collecting all this metal. Maybe someone had thrown it off of the chimney. Maybe it had rusted. There was just a lot of maybes, about where this grate could have been. And it was never fully proven if it was actually there or not. But Chuck says he had it installed. And honestly, I believe him. Like, why would he want raccoons and, and animals coming in through the chimney? Which does happen. So, did someone put Joshua in the chimney from the inside of the cabin and then block up the fireplace with that breakfast bar if that's the case was he murdered i mean it's it's what other explanation could we have here eventually the coroner's report was looked over and revised now it reads this was accidental death murder, or undetermined causes. So that's what's listed on the report now because accidental death just didn't sit well. People were like, what are you talking about? Look at this situation. This doesn't make any sense. I mean, seven years Joshua was in that chimney. How the hell did he get there? And does anyone know but him? These are the questions now. Does anyone know anything but Joshua, because he can't tell us. A theory did come about that a guy who Joshua had started to hang around at that time may have had something to do with his death. This man was never charged with anything relating to Joshua's death, Uh, so I'm not going to say his name, but in every source that I saw, every article that I read, everything about this case, they did name this guy and they also showed his mugshot. So I guess it's no secret. I do have to say, though, it does not look good for this guy, even though he wasn't charged with anything to do with with Joshua's death or him being missing or anything. It doesn't look good for this guy when you hear about his criminal record right after Joshua went missing. I will refer to this man as this guy. I'm not going to say his identity again just because nothing's – Nothing's official, nothing has been set in stone, he hasn't been charged, so I'm not going to say his name, I'm just going to call him this guy. This guy was apparently the last person seen with Joshua, or known to be around Joshua, and he and Joshua had recently started hanging out as they both like to play music, and they were around the same age age shortly after Joshua's disappearance this guy went down to New Mexico and uh, this is crazy stabbed stabbed a disabled person repeatedly after befriending this disabled person's caretaker And he was arrested for this. This guy also claimed he had murdered a woman and stuffed her body in a barrel. There was, in fact, a woman found murdered in a barrel in the location this guy said. But apparently, someone else had already been arrested for this crime. And the case had already been closed. And it was never reopened. Allegedly, there were rumors going around that this guy had also been telling people he stuffed Joshua's body in a hole. Now, it's really hard to say how much of this is true, because all this came out in a Reddit post. That's what every every source I saw kept referencing this Reddit post. This guy did, however, have a criminal record, and I believe the stabbing thing really did happen, if all of this is in fact accurate, I'd say police should should probably look into this guy uh, regarding Joshua's case. There are too many people who believe there is foul play at hand here for this to be ignored, and I I agree. It's hard to believe that Joshua ended up headfirst, naked from the waist down, stuck in a chimney on purpose or by his own doing two years before Joshua disappeared his brother was 18 years old and unfortunately his brother committed suicide and this was really hard on Joshua and it had a lot of people wondering if maybe Joshua also committed suicide and putting himself in that chimney was how he went about it this I find to be highly unlikely why would he choose to end his life in such a awful, painful, slow way? Personally, that theory, it's, it's at the very, very bottom of my list. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't really track for me. It's hard to say exactly what happened, but we know Joshua made it inside the cabin where he took off his shoes, his socks, pants, and underwear, folded them up neatly, uh, somehow got in that chimney upside down, so I doubt that he entered from inside the cabin feet first. Like, How do you even do that? I mean, to me, it just really seems like someone else was there. Someone else knows something that can bring Joshua's family closure. Whatever happened in the cabin that night remains a mystery to this day. How did Joshua get in the chimney? Upon researching this case, I discovered multiple odd cases where bodies of missing persons were discovered in tight places. Although I don't believe Joshua's situation to be accidental, here are some incidents where it was. August of 2018, police pulled over 35-year-old Raimundo Rivera in Lancaster, Los Angeles County. Their reason was because his license plates were fake. He's driving around with fake license plates. This is, of course, a violation, but I don't really think it's worth Fleeing from police, unless you're, I don't know, on the run or have a warrant or something. As far as I know, Raimundo didn't have a warrant, wasn't on the run, so I'm not really sure why, but he did flee. Whatever his situation was, you know, fleeing was a better option than getting caught driving illegally. He fled, he crashed the vehicle, he then ran to a nearby Winco Foods. This is a large chain grocery store with lots of places to hide. Raimundo ran up the stairs and into some offices which he he was seen doing this by employees in Winco, they saw him run in, run up these stairs, run towards the offices. And then from there, he hid in a crawl space, which I'm assuming he had access to from the offices. It was in this crawl space that he found an even better hiding spot, which I mean, you're already in the roof. That's a pretty good fucking hiding spot. So while he's up in this crawl space, there's access to this large open space and this space is a hollowed out decorative pillar that are seen outside of the front of the store he discovered the hollowed out uh, decorative brick pillars they made they're made out of cement and brick but the inside is is totally hollow and you can get into this pillar from this crawl space and it was big enough for him to slide down into it, which was exactly what he did. I guess the opening of these decorative uh, pillars, they are again, they're in this crawl space. He could fit into it. He was looking for a hiding spot, and he slid in this terrifying spot. I would have thought that these would have need to be filled in just for some kind of health and safety concern, but apparently not. Um, and he did go feet first into this into this uh, pillar. So I can imagine he lowered himself down, keeping his arms on the surface, and then dropped his body down into this very tight spot and this would mean he was possibly trapped with his arms above his head he probably tried to jump up to get back to the top of the opening but it wasn't going to work he was stuck it's just so scary once he got himself in he must have quickly realized that there was no way of getting out and probably panic set in uh, the spot was just very tight and it was just too deep. He couldn't get his arms up above the surface to pull himself out. He couldn't wiggle out. He just, he couldn't get out. He was stuck and it was very, very, very tight. Uh, he could have yelled for help all he wanted, but this pillar was encased with brick and cement. He had literally put himself in a soundproof tomb and it was very hot inside of there. While he was inside this pillar, stuck, stuck in there, uh, panicking, people would have been walking right past him outside of this pillar. The They would have been like maybe a foot or two from him because this pillar, I saw images of this pillar, and it's right near the front entrance of the store, meters away from the door going into the store where people are walking past it's hard to say how long he survived, but if I were to guess, I mean, my guess, I would definitely say not long, maybe a couple hours, maybe that night. It's speculated that Raimundo would have died from dehydration or positional asphyxiation uh, because, again, he th- this positional asphyxiation would mean this spot was so tight his body was positioned in such a constricted way that his chest and lungs couldn't expand enough to take a breath in, and he would have suffocated, which is just absolutely horrific. Six days go by. Six days, okay? And Ramondo, he was dead in this pillar and started to decompose, and this led to bodily fluids seeping out from the brick. Customers and workers noticed the horrific smell, and they saw the fluid. The manager ended up calling a maintenance man and a plumber to come look at, at this, this issue that was smelling and they didn't know what it was. He thought maybe it was the sewage system, a sewage line burst or something. So this maintenance man and this plumber, they start digging into this pillar because they're like, this is where the smell is. This is where the fluid's coming from. We got to get in there. We got we to gotta look at what's going on inside of this. And as they're digging into it, a foot and a leg pop out. Yeah, yeah. So that's how Ramundo Rivera's body um got into this pillar. That's how he was discovered in this pillar, and it is just an absolutely torturous way to go. This wasn't the only case involving a supermarket, surprisingly and unfortunately. November 28th, 2009, 25-year-old Larry Murillo Moncada was last seen leaving his home in Council Bluffs, Omaha, which he shared with his parents. They had gotten into an argument and uh, Larry had left angry They he got into a fight with his parents and he stormed out. What was truly concerning about this is that night there was a snowstorm happening outside and Larry left without any shoes or jacket snow in bare feet is incredibly painful and can result in having to have your toes amputated frostbite it's just terrible also recently Larry had been having trouble with his new medication he had been put on which was uh, prescribed to him for anxiety Larry had seemed confused and disoriented, and he said he was hearing voices uh, the day before he disappeared. This was also around the same time his doctor put him on this new anxiety medication. Was his confusion and hearing these voices, uh, was this a result of being misdiagnosed and perhaps wrongfully medicated? Well, I don't know, but that is kind of what it sounded like his parents did have plans to take him back to the doctor to sort this all out but larry disappeared before they could before they could do this before they could get him back in to see his doctor larry was also having hallucinations and told his mother that he was scared and that he was being followed this case really reminded me of Elisa Lamb's case, the woman who was found dead in the water tank who at the hotel, who also seemed to be suffering from hallucinations that she was being followed. And you can see this on the hotel security footage. She somehow made it up to the roof, whether the door was unlocked, however she made it up to the roof. And... Of this hotel hostel that she was staying in. And she ended up being found a while later in the water tank dead. And many people suspect foul play in her case. um, But she was also on medication. And she did have mental health issues uh, prior to her demise. And when you see the security footage... There's nobody else in the footage but she seems really uh, scared. She seems to be looking for somebody following her but again nobody is seen following her in any of the the video footage. So you know this case really reminds me a lot of 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 Elisa Lam. Larry was reported missing that night that he left his family uh when he was angry because his family was really worried so they report him missing they looked for him but no luck they couldn't find him he seemed to have just disappeared into that snowstorm he was not prepared for the cold weather at all so he couldn't have gone far his family was really worried because of this and they looked for him but yet they could not find larry anywhere days pass Weeks pass, months pass, and then years pass, and nobody had heard from Larry. Nobody had any leads at all. It was like he had just vaporized into that snowstorm. Ten years later, Larry's body was discovered, and nobody could believe where he had been for the last decade Before Larry disappeared, he was employed at a local no-frills supermarket about a mile away from where he lived. Larry disappeared in 2009, the supermarket closed down uh, years later, I believe about six or seven years later, and then in 2019, after being abandoned for a few years, a company went in to clear it out. Apparently the old supermarket equipment, the refrigerator, stuff like that, it uh, was just left in there when the store closed down, and it was a few years later on this day when a large refrigerator was removed from a back room, that Larry's decomposed body was found stuck behind one of them. Larry had been there the entire 10 years. Investigators used familial DNA to confirm that it was Larry. Uh, Also, the shirt and pants that he was wearing from that day that he disappeared, it matched exactly what they had found behind the fridge on the corpse. So how did Larry get there, though? The large refrigerators were kept in a back room, and I'm just assuming they were very big uh, and also very tall. I think there was a lot of them. They were very big, very tall. Sometimes staff would crawl up on top of the refrigerators for a sneaky break. It was probably warm up there. The motors of the the refrigerators are going. The hum was probably like a nice white noise. I'm assuming the managers didn't know about it. And this would have been a, a, a great way to take a nap on shift. Nobody would ever find you there sleeping. And... Uh, this is the uh, this spot is where they believe that Larry went to. So it's believed that Larry left his home that evening uh, when he had a fight with his parents. He left in the snowstorm. He went to his work, which was close by. He had no shoes, no jacket, no wallet, no money. He didn't have anything on him. When he got to his work, he went to that sneaky break spot, which was above the fridge. It was you know, he would have been cold, it was warm up there. He could have slept there all night if he wanted to, and then went home in the morning. There was a 18 inch gap between the wall and the fridge, which went down 12 feet, 12 feet down, 18 inches wide. This is where Larry ended up getting pinned so did larry accidentally fall behind there did he purposefully put himself down there uh, to hide from these hallucinations he was he was having these are the questions that remain unanswered Uh, There was no signs of foul play according to an autopsy. And I guess there was no security footage from the store uh, from 10 years previous. So really all we have is these assumptions. The thing that everyone wants to know though is how did nobody know Larry was there did he not yell or bang or try to try to get out and the explanation I read for that was the fridges were so loud nobody could hear him screaming for help if if he if he did scream for help but what about the smell how did nobody notice the smell of a body decomposing Behind those refrigerators, in a grocery store, with the heat of the fridge back there. it it, I mean, it it would have been a lot. Uh, It would have been quite a smell. And some people theorize that perhaps exhaust fans carried a lot of the smell away. So maybe it wasn't extremely pungent, as pungent as one would think. Or perhaps the back room smelled bad from... Rotting food from the grocery store, spoiled milk, uh, rotting produce, uh, stuff like this. And to me, that doesn't really make sense because I'm like, how fucking dirty is your storage room at the grocery stores you've worked at? Because there should be no grocery store that is that pungent from bad smells in a storage room there it just shouldn't exist that's a major health and safety issue i just i i wouldn't want to eat any food coming out of out of a out of a back room like that you know it's i think i don't know so i don't know what happened there um you would think grocery store back rooms where they store food that people are consuming would need to be spotless um but i don't know and i also would think that Every so often those refrigerators or everything would need to be pulled out and like a full clean would have to be done. Then I start thinking, what about those employees taking their sneaky breaks? Do they not remember smelling it so bad up on top of those refrigerators where they were taking their breaks? I don't know. I don't know. I just find it hard to believe that the the smell of a decomposing body just went unnoticed I mean I did read somewhere that staff did remember a horrible smell and they did look for it thinking it might be a dead animal like a rat or something Uh, and they gave up when they couldn't find the source of the smell so who knows how hard they looked I mean, obviously, they didn't look that hard. They didn't find an entire human body decomposing behind their refrigerator in the storage room of a grocery store. It's, it's another tragic story about a missing person being found close to home, and I just can't wrap my mind around the circumstances surrounding surrounding it. I mean, these cases are just so sad and just so unbelievable. I am glad Larry's family eventually, you know, they got the answers they were looking for. They did find him. So they can, they can get that out of their mind about, you know, where is he? Is he coming home? Is he okay? They know what happened to him. Unfortunately, it was a, a tragic accident. Um, but they know, so they do have some closure there. This next case is a bit similar to the first one uh, in regards to a chimney. Bakersfield, California, 2010, a 49-year-old female doctor named Jacqueline Katarik was desperately trying to gain entry into the home of a man she was having relations with. Apparently, the two had a rocky relationship and would sometimes be together and sometimes not uh, this was described as a on-again, off-again relationship by the articles I read. The exact details about why she wanted to gain entry so bad are unknown, as the man who remains unidentified said that Dr. Katarik uh, should be remembered for the good she did, uh, not for this, which, is, which was very good of him. That was very nice of him to say. Apparently, she um, had a medical practice, and she would help people who couldn't afford to see a doctor and couldn't afford prescriptions. So she was helping people who who couldn't afford medical care, and, and that yeah. So that was very amazing of her, and that's how he thought she should be remembered for. I guess we can only assume the two were not together at this time, and perhaps Dr. Katarik was illegally entering this man's property. The entry point she chose was through a chimney in the home. She first tried to use a shovel to get into the home, and I'm not sure how she tried to use the shovel, but it didn't work, so she then got a ladder. Uh, With this ladder, she climbed on the roof and she found the opening of the chimney and there was a cap on it so nothing could get get down it, it, and she did remove that. She then entered it from the top feet first, uh, made it almost all the way to the inside opening, like the fireplace inside, but then she got stuck two feet from the bottom inside of the chimney. It would take three days before uh, the doctor was discovered by a house sitter looking after the man's fish. The house sitter smelled something terrible coming from the chimney, so she had a look. When she looked in the chimney, that's when she saw the deceased woman. Emergency services were called immediately, and it took the fire department five hours to get the woman's body unlodged and out of the chimney. Dr. Katarak had died from positional asphyxiation. The article did read mechanical, uh, but when I looked up what mechanical asphyxiation is, it is, seems to be basically the same thing that uh, the positional asphyxiation is, which is where the body is in such a tight spot that the chest cannot expand. The lungs can't expand. This last case you may have heard about before, Uh, this one was ruled uh, as an accident or a freak death, but this is highly publicly debated. Okay, this is why I think you may have heard of this one. This is widely debated and, and talked about. I'm talking about Kendrick Johnson. Kendrick Johnson's parents, they have accused police and the high school of covering up the murder of their son. 17-year-old Kendrick Johnson was discovered in 2013 inside a rolled-up gym mat upside down in his high school's gymnasium at Lowndes, Georgia, USA. Kendrick was dead. Uh, his death was ruled as a freak death. The cause of death was, again, as we've been seeing, positional asphyxiation. It was believed that Kendrick went headfirst into this massive rolled-up gym mat to retrieve a shoe that he had dropped. And when he went in headfirst to grab this shoe, he got stuck. And this gym mat must have been very large and very heavy, and he could not get out. This did not sit right with his family so much so that they had his body exhumed and re-examined by a different medical examiner. This examiner said the cause of death appeared to be uh, caused by a, a blow to Kendrick's neck, which that is much different from positional asphyxiation. The examiner also discovered that all of Kendrick's organs had been removed, and in their place was newspaper. There is so much more to this case. Uh, The public, they seem to side with Kendrick's family on this, and it is widely believed something sinister happened to Kendrick. There has been a documentary made about this case called uh, "Finding Kendrick Johnson." Also, podcasts, lar- like huge uh, true crime podcasts such as Crime Junkie and Morbid, they have covered this case as well. It has a lot of exposure. Um, th- the word is out there; people know about this, and most people side with. Kendrick's family they want to know what happened they think more there's more to this situation and this is one I will be keeping an eye on for any updates because this is still being looked into and you can I'm actually going to cover this case in the future so you'll be able to listen to me cover that case here that concludes this week's terrifyingly claustrophobic episode before I go, I just want to remind you to please uh, follow Hell No underscore a True Crime Podcast on TikTok so I can reach one thousand followers so I can bring you guys lives. I have some really fun ideas. I've just ordered some stuff from T-mill, uh, because I want to freshen up my wardrobe, and I thought, oh. I should show everybody whether Timu is a scam or not. Because for a while, like a full year, since I've seen it advertised to me, I thought it was a scam. So I don't know. I couldn't resist temptation anymore. I went on there. I bought four, yeah, four outfits. Um, so we'll know if it's a scam or not. And I wanted to show you guys that possibly on a tiktok live i don't know maybe i'll just do a tiktok but head on over there and follow hell no underscore a true crime podcast hell no is also on instagram if you want to follow me there as well at um hell no underscore a true crime podcast also if you haven't rated the podcast five stars on spotify or apple podcast please do so now or on whatever platform you are listening on if that is an option